0: Hi, this is John, creator of Tale of the Manticore. In addition to my usual disclaimer, I'd like to give an extra warning because this episode in particular contains content that some listeners might find to be a little too much. If you're sensitive to graphic material, when you get to the Dramatis Personae section of the chapter, which will be the final section, and when you hear this music, then you should stop play and just wait for the recap in the upcoming episode to find out what you missed. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the previous episode, Harl Umura... Skyrios and Eridine enter the famous silver mine of Thangar, in search of Ursuleth, whom they believe is lost somewhere within. They first pass through the mushroom fields, then beyond the Undermule stalls, before entering the mine by way of an enormous stone mouth. This strange portal is part of a much larger likeness of Varen Elamur, the founder of Thangar, that has been sculpted directly into the rock face of the cavern, if you will forgive the pun. Once inside, they follow Harl as he leads them deeper within, After many a winding tunnel, they leave the depleted upper section of the mine and enter the lower active area. More time passes as they venture yet further. Later, the telltale sign of loose dirt, gravel and stone on the floor alerts Harl to the presence of Ankegs, terrible giant insects, but despite their vigilance, they still wind up walking straight into the creature's trap. By the grace of the dice gods, the party members put down the monstrosities without sustaining a single injury. Fortune is on their side. For Ursula's sake, let's hope it will continue to be so. Chapter 56 Part 1 Day 70 Evening Party Status Harl, 26 of 26 hit points. Girios, 33 of 33. Eredin, 18 of 18. Umura, 23 of 23. Spells available. Umura has memorized Charm Person, Levitate, Knock, and Lightning Bolt. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds, times 2, Hold Person, and Bless. Gyrios tongued the inside of his cheek, but the whole left side of his face had gone numb. Bringing a hand up to it, he found that a good-sized welt had risen in the place where he had been stung. Eridine was looking at him with concern, and he managed to slur out, I'm all right, fairly unconvincingly. Eridine winced out of sympathy and then flicked her elven longsword to clean the blade. Bug guts splattered along the wall in a wavy line as she did so. Gyrios turned to Harl, who was also looking at him with concern. First giant spiders, then rats, after that a giant snake, and now these giant… <laughs> whatever they are. Why do we never fight miniature creatures?" Harl reached up and patted Girios on the back. Bad news, my good friend, but those were the small ones. The small? I hope you're joking. Harl bit his lower lip and shook his head. I only wish I were. Come on, we have to keep going. We have to keep looking. He finished. They stepped over the stinking Ankeg corpses and continued yet deeper into the lower mines. Before long, there was hard-packed dirt and stone under their feet, and they relaxed a little. It was around this time that the tunnel forked and Harl hesitated, for once unsure which way to go. I can't tell the way, he admitted. Someone once told me that, when you find yourself lost down a mine, every direction is forwards, said Umora. Umura. Huh. Well, sir, returned Harl. We'll go right. They took the chosen tunnel, and it stretched ahead fifty or sixty feet before opening into a purpose built circular chamber that had bricked walls reinforced by timber strut ribbing. In the center of the room was a large well made of stones and mortar. Beside the well sat a winch that was loaded with a huge spool of rusted chain. It might have held one hundred feet or more. The room had no exits, and so Harl turned back around. Chain diving station, he said, and then led them back to the junction where he took the left fork. This tunnel also went roughly 50 feet before it too opened into a larger space. This was not a constructed room, as the chain diving station had been, but a major excavation site where the majority of active mining had been concentrated before being evacuated. There was a lot to take in, but as the companions surveyed the room, they were filled with bitter dismay. The far end of the room was a heap of broken rubble apparently there had been a collapse here at some point but that is not what first caught their attention the cavern was littered with bodies mainly dwarven but also one of the monstrous Ankeg. and harl had been right the ones they had slain had been the small ones this thing was more than twice as big easily 20 feet long and thick as a barrel of the dwarves there were five six seven Umora counted eight what a battle this must have been. The upturned wheelbarrows and crates smashed to kindling were evidence of the monster's terrible power. Eridine looked at Harl, who was surveying the scene with sad eyes. Just then, apparently coming from under the fallen worker keg, a sound so small she at first thought she had imagined it. She looked again and saw a dwarf pinned beneath the thing's carapace. One of his fingers was moving ever so slightly. Seeing it too, Umura brought up her lantern and headed into the chamber. Girios, she called, and the priest responded immediately. As they approached, they could see that the poor dwarf, a bald-headed warrior with a chestnut beard streaked with gray, was in dire condition. The dwarf's clouded eyes slowly came into focus as Girios leaned down beside him. Mary, he repeated. Girios looked questioningly over his shoulder at Harl, but Umura was faster with the translation. Water, he wants water, Girios. She was already unstoppering her water skin. Here. She handed the skin to Gyrios, and the cleric dribbled a little water on the dwarf's cracked lips. Some relief showed on his face, but it was mixed with pain. Worry not, brother. This man can help you. Gyrios, help me move this thing off him. No, Harl, you mustn't. Gyrios's face, still puffy on one side from the stinger venom, seemed grotesque and maudlin. There's nothing I can do for him, Harl. There's no prayer I can say that can fix He moved aside so Harl could see that the dwarf was not merely pinned, but crushed flat from the navel down. His organs would be ruptured, his pelvis destroyed. In fact, it was clear that the weight of the beast was the only thing keeping him alive. But Harl was adamant. We, We will think of something. We must at least try to save you. Nog Shattershield closed his eyes and shook his head weakly. Then, what can we do for you? In answer, the dwarf looked away and reached helplessly for the short sword on the floor nearby. Harl pretended not to see. Tell me, brother, did you cause the cave in? The other dwarf nodded weakly. Are there other dwarves on the other side still alive? There was no response for a moment. Then the dwarf's eyes welled up with tears and he nodded again. I. begged them. not to. He managed. Then once again he reached for the sword and looked imploringly at Harl, and this time he couldn't pretend not to notice. No, please, don't ask for that. The eyes remained on him. Reluctantly, Harl passed him the blade. The tears that welled up in the warrior's eyes spilled over his cheeks. Do you want me to? Asked Harl, now on his knees. The other shook his head again. Do you wish us to stay with you? Again, a slow shake of the head. Grunmog, have done, said Nog. Grunmog, bless you. The companions left him to fulfill his last wish, in peace.
1: Danger. Mystery. Intrigue. Think you've heard all that actual play podcasts have to offer? Think, Think again. again. I'm Nate uh-huh. Peterson. I'm Nate Peterson, uh-huh. the du- the d- the dungeon master. For- uh-huh. Yes, Stuart. What can I do for you? I know naught of this, Stuart. My name is Dweezel Van Zafir, the Bard of Bards. Well, firstly, your name, Stuart, and you're from Yorkshire. Secondly, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm trying to record an advert for our show. Well, firstly, in your parlance, I've never even heard of this Yorkshire. And secondly, if there is a show to be advertised, then surely it should be I, Dweezil Van Zafir, to do the advertising. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, surely this is a job for me as the dungeon master. Uh, Perhaps a, uh, song? Mm, No, I certainly don't think it's time for a song. Adventurers, brave and true, strong of will and strong of power, a band unbreakable through and through. They protect each other from insult and harm. What more persuasion could one require? Tune in to hear our tales. Dice and uh, d- uh, d- desire. You see, Stuart, words do have power, but certainly not as so much power as the Dungeon Master. Join me as I corral my merry band of misfits to Storm King's Thunder every week on Dice and Design, a 5e actual play podcast. Chapter 56
0: Part 2 Day 70 Night Party Status The Party Status is Unchanged That confirms it. The collapse blocks the only way into the lower mines. Harl stood with his arms akimbo, chewing his lip. They were standing at the junction where, not too long ago, Harl had lost the way. The last half hour had been spent checking all the various tributary tunnels, no matter how small, in the hope of finding a secondary path. But they were all either dead ends or else they connected with each other and looped back. I'm sure you could all tell how the floor of that cavern sloped down," he added. It was definitely the way to the Lower Mines. The others had not been able to tell anything of the sort, but nodded vaguely in response anyway. I would have guessed that the Ankeg had caused the collapse, replied Harl in a grunt. It is a sorry thing that those dwarfs did. I wonder how many others were still alive on the other side. Umora raised a finger. The Ankeg can burrow through rock. Isn't that right? Will the collapse keep them out? Indeed they can. But it was only meant to hold them for a while, I think. If the only way back to the lower mine is blocked, then our chances of finding Ursuleth are gone, mourned Gyrios. His normal voice had returned, though he still had an angry red welt on his cheek. Regretfully, said Harl slowly. Don't give up, Harl. There has to be a way, said Umura. I was going to say... Returned Harl. That, regretfully, there is now only one way. How long will it take the four of us to dig through with the miner's tools? asked Gyrios with something like hope in his voice. Too long, said Harl. Come with me. Instead of heading left towards the cavern with the cave in, as they'd expected, Harl led them to the right. Uh, Harl, said Gyrios with his forehead creased the cleric looked at Umura, who frowned back, sharing his confusion. She asked the question for him. Harl, um, I feel like it's strange of me to ask since I'm a human and you're a dwarf, and we are in a mine, but aren't we going the wrong way? Harl didn't even look over his shoulder when he replied. No. Umura, too intelligent for her own good, immediately understood where they were going and why. She blanched, but continued to follow. Gyrios and Eridine stayed bewildered for a few more moments until they, too, figured it out. Harl was leading them back to the chain-diving station. Somehow, when they reached the place, the well seemed smaller. The chain wound up in the winch's spool looked rustier, and there seemed to be more of it. A kind of hollow sound came out of the mouth from deep below that they hadn't noticed before. When Umura held her enchanted lantern over it, the light could not penetrate to the bottom. How deep does it go? asked Girios uneasily. Pretty deep. Girios, Umura, and most of all Erdin were not cowards, but what was about to happen was not something they felt good about. Harl walked up beside Umora to the contraption next to the well and gave it a little test spin. he squeaked slightly, but Harl seemed satisfied. He looked at them apologetically, and then fished the tail end of the chain up and out. He showed them how it terminated in a thick, leather, double-ankle harness. These go around. Well, I'm sure you can figure it out. He mumbled. See this latch? It's a quick release. When you reach the bottom, you pull that, and you'll fall free onto your hands. So, um... You should keep your arms stretched out in front of you. His instructions were met by three flat expressions, and he shifted uncomfortably. Any, um, any questions? At least a few, yes, said Umura tonelessly. Then ask. Well, for starters, what keeps our legs from being ripped from our hips when we abruptly reach the bottom? A good first question. There's the weight of the chain to slow the fall, but also there is a counterbalance inside, it. and uh, this part here is a braking pad, which can be tightened, like so. Harl twisted a knob on the device that pushed a leather pad against the spool. Umura was unsatisfied. I'm not finished. The chain length is set for a dwarf's height. How are we to avoid being crushed from crown to waist when we hit bottom? Another fair question, admitted Harl. The chain length is adjusted by clipping a loop of chain together with this. Harl showed a carabiner clip next to the ankle harness. You just loop a few feet of chain. It will hold. Most chain divers don't bother getting out at the bottom before they come back up, so they rarely take this off. Chain divers? Asked Gyrios. Is that a a job? Quite right, Gyrios. It's not an especially popular one, but it's better than mucking out Undermule stalls. It's a very efficient system for making deliveries. Deliveries? Yes, that's what it's for. Quick transportation of equipment from the upper mines to the lower. Much, much faster than carrying supplies down through the tunnels. Umora thought back to the Skundavar, the chain bridge, and then, considering this piece of engineering, said, I'm starting to think that all dwarves are a little bit insane. Harl shrugged. It's very efficient. Any other questions, or shall we, uh, um proceed. A couple more, yes, said Umura. I'd like to know how we get back up. There's a tension cord spring and a latch inside the spool. When you reach the bottom, you'll stop. Pull the chain and you'll go back up. Experienced chain divers can do it by pulling their knees in quickly. Just one more question. Have you ever done this yourself? Well, oh, uh, to be frank, uh, no. Who's first? I'll go second if you want so I can show you how to do it properly." There was a solid ten seconds of silence before Eridine stepped up and grabbed the chain from Harl's hand. Harl strapped Eridine in and then loosened the brake, explaining, You only weigh half as much as a dwarf. And we don't want you to get… we don't want any problems. Eridine sighed in resignation and then stood on the lip of the well. She looked to Harl for confirmation and the dwarf nodded. Eridine then looked quickly at Gyrios before turning back and diving into the blackness of the well. The winch immediately began unspooling chain rapidly, making quite a racket. It only took a few seconds before it slowed and then stopped. The companions held their collective breath until the chain bobbed, and then the spool reversed and slowly gathered all the chain back up as it reset. When it stopped moving, Harl fished the harness, now empty of ankles, out of the well and asked, Who's next? It had better be me before I change my mind, said Girios. What in Mazagar's name am I doing? He continued as Harl fixed the leather strap around his ankles. Harl tightened the brake pad on the winch and then said, Ready. No, protested Girios. All right, I'll do it. The cleric mouthed a few words in silent prayer before he, too, dove headfirst into the well. Dramatis Personae Ursuleth Stonecarver Two days ago Ursulath was conscious, but she could not open her eyes. They seemed glued shut somehow. Neither could she move her arms or legs, or much more than slightly turn her head from side to side. Perhaps it was because she couldn't see that her sense of hearing seemed impossibly acute. She could hear everything. Fear passed through her like an icy current, and she shuddered. There was a dull ache in her belly, then another on her back. Something wet crawled across her chest. Ursuleth tried to speak, but when she opened her mouth, it was full of slime. She retched and then sucked in a huge breath. She must have been breathing through her nose before. Again, she tried to speak.
1: Can someone help?
0: She managed in a whisper. No dwarven voice replied. Please. I don't want to be alone. Had lost too many workers and so the Queen had responded. Not all meat was an appropriate place to lay her eggs. Most of the things her hunters brought to her were too small or already dead and in pieces. Meat that was already dead was not good for sustaining her young. The larvae needed a host with a beating heart in order to pupate. The piece of meat she had finally selected was perfect. It was round and warm and soft and fat. While the queen reached out with spindly appendages and groomed her young, Ursuleth shifted and groaned. Other than the crawling sensation and the somehow distant pain, she felt very little as the egg sac injected in her flesh burst open, and one by one, the queen's larvae began to devour her from the inside out. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. There are now four ways to support the show. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can purchase my Rules Ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark for a buck fifty on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My thanks to everyone who has done any of the above. Speaking of which, I'd like to read a review from iTunes today. This one is from the one and only Dirk the Dice. Dirk writes, This is an actual play podcast with a difference. It has all the drama of a game, but without the toe-curling bits because it's more like an audiobook with dice determining the results than the usual radio drama of voice actors playing up to the microphone. John, the narrator slash game master, has a wonderful voice that captures the listener's attention, and the sound design really compels the story forward. He does a great job of keeping things gripping, defining the characters very distinctly, and making sure that there's lots of adventure in each episode. It's so intense that I can feel my walking pace increase while I'm listening. Brilliant. There you have it, folks. From Dirk the Dice of the Grognard Files, one of my favorite voices from one of my favorite podcasts, I might add. Thanks for those kind words, Dirk. Glad I can contribute to your cardio routine. Thanks also is due to this episode's amazing voice actor. Back and, let's face facts, completing her role as Ursula Stonecarver is the very talented Kirsty Wilson. What a great performance, Kirsty! I hope one day you'll return to the show playing a less hmm, unfortunate character. For listeners who would like to contact me, you can do so on Twitter at Manticore Tale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Welcome to the advertisement for the Red Caps podcast, an advertisement where we dip our caps into the blood of a fellow podcaster's listeners and ramble on about old school games. If you think you'd enjoy short, ten to fifteen minute tidbits about old school RPGs, occasionally some interviews, once in a while a product review delivered directly into your ear, then I need you to realize that no mortal can outrun a Red Cap. And instead, you should jump over to your favorite podcasting app of choice and search for The Red Caps Podcast.